can you hear Matt through the uh, the microphone in the middle of the table here? Providing you with today's traffic report, we've got Matt coming in live from the traffic. You're listening to Character Crusade Unbound, Season 3, Episode 6. I'm Stu. And I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. Welcome to Character Crusade Unbound, The Hidden Agenda, a community roleplay project where we create a challenge and then play together and share our stories. So, tonight's discussion point is really about this concept of how can we create a climax in the story. Um, Every good story has a climax. This is the point where the change in a character's story arc becomes so significant that they're changed forever by it. When we talk about things like value pairs and stuff like that, we're talking about minor changes where a character is vacillating back and forth. There's kind of a, there, there's some kind of, um, some kind of a force placed on the character. And in response, there's a character change. So, uh, but this is the point where we get we, we get to the point where the force is so great we've we've hit this kind of critical mass right and and what is going to happen from that is that the change in the character is going to be so significant that there's no turning back that this is the change that this is the thing that changes them forever so when we talk about climax depending on how you've structured your story or how your playthrough is set up your climax may be wrapped up in completion of a particular quest line or a series of quest lines, or it may be something that you've manufactured all in your own based on circumstances in the game and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I think for me, as I'm looking forward at the story that I'm telling now, um, I'm doing some of both. I'm, right. I'm creating a lot of my own situations and then I'm, I'm coupling right. those together with structure inside the story. And this isn't to say that this is the end of the character's play unless you want it to be. It's just a, a almost like a, a new beginnings, if you will, mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah, exactly. And what this can be is, is this could be the end of the character's story or it could be the next major chapter. It could be the sequel, the right. beginning of the sequel. Exactly. And I think that we've seen that several times. In fact, um, that sort of brings to mind some of the some of the things that you've been thinking about in your stories in the past, right? Where mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know something there's a major change, something draws to a right. conclusion, but it's the beginning of something new. Right. I right. mean, with Lost in Time, I certainly could have kept going with that storyline. Yeah. Um, from you know a, a new perspective based on the adoption of Lucia, mm-hmm. I could have continued that. Uh, I chose for that to be the end because it seemed like a nice, logical, smooth transition to just bring it to a nice end. Um, But I certainly could have kept going with it. Um, I could also keep going with um, the Lucia character if I wanted to. Yeah. So I kind of set that up that that could be another another series coming down the road. I don't know. Um, But it's 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 developed in a way that I could do that. So yeah. that was kind of that apex for me was 
bringing that conflict with that fallen Falmer to an end, starting a new chapter with Lucia. Now, I could have played that all out, but I chose not to. Um, I could play out a future scenario with Lucia, like I said, but we'll see. So, yep. Um, well, I mean, as you as you think of a character's uh, like the major story arc of a of a character, we're we're talking about the the character's overall journey. A lot of times, the apex or the climax of the story is considered to be that part of the story where things come to an end. It draws to a conclusion, right? Right. However, we can also have the equivalent of a mini apex at each act as well. Sure, where sure. We've got some significant change. Now, maybe this is a change that's driving us toward the end of the overall narrative, but it's a stop along the way. It's not the final conflict. It's not the climax of the story. So one of the things that um, I'm interested in is, uh, Joe, when you find yourself in a situation like within the context of um, a Skyrim playthrough where you want to emphasize how a character has changed or that there has been some significant change in the character. Are there specific things that you do? Uh, are there specific steps that you like to take or consider as you're, you're trying to sort of depict that change in your role play? Oh, that's a tough question primarily because you would approach it two different ways depending on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, creating a video series and almost being like the director, if you will, mm -hmm. is much different than just <clears throat> playing. Right. So, you know, from a creator perspective, yeah, there's, there's certain actions that you really want to emphasize and, and bring out. So at the end, I wanted to emphasize kind of trying to wrap up all the loose ends. Um, you know, the, the relationship with his mother, uh, the relationship with Lucia and just his own mortality. So right. I kind of wanted to bring those all together to a head. So you, <clears throat> at least the way I did it was to take each one of those little scenarios and emphasize it with, um, kind of a prolonged little cinematic, um, some background music that kind of helps emphasize that yeah. feeling that that you're trying to, to entice. From a player perspective, it's a little more difficult yeah. because you're not cognizantly stopping and doing different angles and slow-mo. And you certainly can. I mean, Trailiant is a very good example of stopping your gameplay to make some adjustments. Right. And then continuing from that persona and then back and back out of them. Yeah. So you certainly can without disrupting your, your own gameplay. I just don't think it's in a person's mindset while they're playing. Yeah. And from a creator, sure. That's mm -hmm. definitely all our mindset. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what you're trying to do. Well, I like the idea of, of because for a lot of us, your story is kind of fresh in our minds. Mm -hmm. um, I like the idea of thinking about the conclusion of your story. Um, everything was building right to this confrontation with the sleeper. Right. And it kind of came down to that final confrontation where there was direct conflict, but not just between Sanak and the sleeper. You were also bringing in past characters from other parts of the story and, right. and they were being injected into that conflict. And it was kind of a way of showing that a lot of the things that Sanak 
had done in the past, a lot of the relationships he had created throughout the course of the story, all those things were coming back to benefit him in that moment when he needed it most, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the most recent in that particular ending was uh, Arneal. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a... And who is Arneal again for, for the Arneal audience? Gain is one of the uh, instructors at the at the Mages College. Right. He's the one that is all secretive about his, his work with discovering what happened to the Dwemer and all that good stuff. So as many of you probably know that when you go through that process uh, with Arneal Gain and you get the keening, he, he makes this attempt to use it and then disappears. That's, that's kind of the vanilla experience of that storyline, that quest line. So I was able to kind of take that disappearance and make it look as if, or give the, well, not just implication, but make it appear as if the sleeper actually murdered him. Ah. So the sleeper came in and uh, extracted information on what he was doing and in the process, Arneal died. So at the very end sequence, Arneal came back as a ghost to help Sanak out to kind of exact his own vengeance for being murdered. And you wrapped that little piece of story up in um, an event that was part of the vanilla game, right? Because you didn't have to make Arneal into a ghost. Right, If yeah. you complete a certain side quest in the vanilla game, he will become... Yeah, he, basically summon, right? what he becomes is a is a conjuration. Okay. So I was able to set him up and conjure him and then edit that little bit out so he was all of a sudden there and kind of rushing to Sanak's aid right. to distract uh, this banished one. Now, we've referred to that, that uh, protagonist as the sleeper, and I think it's just a little backstory on that. If you're not aware or not familiar with the sleeper, that is actually uh, an old antagonist or protagonist, rather. Antagonist. No, antagonist, excuse me. Yeah. Antagonist that Stuart created um, some time ago. For the five his, fables. His five fables. Um, <clears throat> and when it came evident that that was not going to uh, run its course just because of the complexity and uh, many other things, uh, Stuart offered to let me use him for my own. So. Yeah, uh, I just I took them as is, rebranded them a little bit, and I think that's a great example though of taking a side quest available in the vanilla game and giving it more significance than it might otherwise have, and building it seamlessly into your storytelling. Right, so this is a situation where ideally, what they're telling you to do is complete the side quest, and then you've got. Arneal gain as someone that you can summon whenever you want, right? Pretty much, yeah. It's like a power that you can use over and over yeah. and over again. Yep. In this particular case, what you were doing is really taking that ability and holding it for a specific time and place. Yep. Uh, and and in your mind, it was a one a single use thing. Yeah. And it was yep. something that Sanak didn't have control over. You wanted it to feel like Arneal right. was coming back to help a friend, essentially. Exactly. So that's an example of taking something, a, a power or a gift that the game will give you for completing a side quest and changing its impact simply right. by making it more of a scarce resource. Yeah, and, and that's something that you could do with uh, pretty much anything. Um, if yeah. you just you know, exercise some self-control during your own playthrough you know, for private yeah. enjoyment and uh, 
You know, you reserve it for the time that feels right. Yep. And then after that, you just ignore it. Yep. So this might be something where people might uh, talk about play rules, right? Yeah. And they, maybe they assign a play rule to a particular spell or power and right. they only use it in a certain circumstance or something like that so that it feels more special. It, right. it, it, it would not have been as interesting if you were saying, summon Arneal, summon Arneal, summon right, Arneal, right, right. and you were doing it all the time. Who exactly, cares then, Exactly, right? it, it, So It lessens the impact. Yeah, exactly. So, and then, yeah, I was able to pull out a little bit of his voice and try to crush him together so that he, he would rush across the screen and say, get up. Now yeah. <laughs> it takes a little bit. You got to listen for it because it didn't, it didn't come together seamlessly, but that was, that was the effect I was going for yeah. is that he's coming in to distract and he's telling him, get up. Yep. That's so cool though. And right. And, and the emphasis here, I mean, what we're really trying to talk about is that, you know, even though Joe is doing this in a context of a video series where he's intentionally withholding certain things from you, the viewer, in order to preserve surprise and to, you know, keep some mystery around where the story's going and all this kind of right. stuff, these are these are exercises that you can do inside of your own game. Oh yeah. You can you can acquire a power through a mod or something like that. Or one of the things I've done before is taking a perk, an ordinator, but then not use that perk and only use that perk for certain situations. Oh, right. Right? Mm -hmm. If it's one of these things where you it, it provides a power that you can elect to use mm -hmm. in certain circumstances. Um, one of the things I think about with that is in, in Twist's story, from fairly early on, he had the ability to summon Snafu, which was his pet rabbit, oh, from his okay. backpack. And Snafu would go out and find things of value and he would follow him, right? <laughs> That's so funny. But in the course of, of his adventuring, he has only used Snafu for that purpose maybe three times. Okay. Right? So it's one of those deals where I'm kind of withholding that and using it for something special. Most recently, he's used Snafu to help him find the critical information he needed in order to decipher Gallus's journal. So it was something that was kind of important, you know, in that moment. And so the rabbit helped him do this. And that is an ordinator perk that is part of, I think it's the pickpocketing uh, perk tree. Seems so, like a logical place. Yeah. So, you know, stuff like that. And these are just little things that you can do. But it, what it does is it helps to emphasize the importance of the climax of the story that you're building towards, whether it's right. kind of an intermediary com, you know, conflict as part of uh, one of your acts, you know, mid midway right. through a playthrough, or it's the final conflict, whatever that right. may be. And yeah, you can uh, you can choose obviously any quest, major or minor, mm -hmm. uh, to be that that apex of of that piece of your story. Uh, whether you know it's defeating Ancano or what have you, yeah, it really depends on the story you've got going on in your head for that character. Exactly. You know, maybe it's beating a specific bandit chief. That's true. Know. You know, and the other thing that occurs to me is <clears throat> this was done somewhat in the passage where I just took the fact that the Reach is filled with Forsworn all over the place. <laughs> And I pulled all of those different locations and encounters um, together into a cohesive story. But you could also do the same thing with a lot of different things. So 
the Thalmor make appearances in a lot of different quest lines. Yeah. Um, and you know, significant appearances. And then it's in some also smaller side quests when you're talking about things like Andolomar or the conflict that you have with uh, a group of Thalmor when you visit a very specific uh, location um, shrine yeah. to Talos. Yeah, or right? it could just be a random group of them that maybe ends up in conflict. Yep. I mean, it really depends on the dialogue that you wish to choose if you engage them. Yeah. So you may be thinking to yourself, I want to create a story for myself that's centered around conflict with the Thalmor. How can I do that? Well, you could play the Alduin quest line up to the point where you infiltrate the embassy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, you could you could play the Mage College quest line up to the point where you confront and eliminate Ancano. Right. <clears throat> you could do the side quest for Andolomar. You could do all these different things, right? Now suddenly you can you find yourself in a position where you can find creative and interesting ways to tie all those all those encounters that are part of larger disparate quest lines into one thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and you don't need to complete those other ones. Right, right. You kind of tie those items together in your own way. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that that I find myself doing all mm -hmm. the time. I'm cherry picking different things. Right. Right. Yeah, so, another example could be unless you've got um the organized bandits mod, uh, you could you could do kind of that similar concept with the bandits because how many of them? There's a lot of them that end up kind of camped out in these mines. Yeah, you know, maybe you tie in that aspect of it. Maybe there's a a larger picture that you know, kind of a kingpin, if you will, that's controlling all these, and they're trying to get the mining. Yeah, monopoly or something that makes sense. You know, any any number of things. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things we're talking about. You're trying to craft some kind of uh, some kind of a climax in the story for yourself, and that'll be a combination of different things. First of all, pulling together some events that you think would be significant enough mm -hmm. to feel like sort of a character-changing, life-changing event, right. but then also adding additional gravity to that event by souping up the experience by, you know, creating play rules for yourself, withholding powers for special occasions, and then also doing things like using different mods and changing up your armor and your play style and, and you know, your face paint and all this stuff to kind of emphasize the, the character changing over right. time. Yeah, that, that right? physical appearance. Yeah, so these are all things that you can pull together to kind of culminate in a much more powerful climax to a story than simply following the quest line through and killing Alduin. Right. You, you can make that experience with Alduin feel so much more powerful, and that's what we talk about when we're talking about this, right. the apex of your story. And it might seem a little corny or maybe cliche, but a lot of times you'll kind of just know yeah. when that time <laughs> has come. Yeah. I mean, at least I do. I get, and I, I've done that with, you know, whether it's D&D &D characters or whatever, but you, you get to a point where you just kind of know, all right, we're either gonna, we're done or we've changed, we've changed a leaf. Yep. Our character has changed significantly for whatever reason. Yep. So. Well, I think, I think that's a good discussion of Apex. I mean, that's what I think of when I think of the climax. And, the, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you guys can do this. We've certainly seen a ton of creativity from you all this season. These are some suggestions that we have for ways that you could build a climax for your character. Mm -hmm. And I think we've touched on a number of different, you know, threads you could pull together to make this happen. 
So I think next we are going to go to the last and final homework submission for season three of Unbound. So stay tuned. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Lost Barrel Brewing Company, maker of Draugr Lager and other middling quality spirits. Made with ancient ingredients of mysterious origin, Lost Barrel brews capture the taste of history in every bottle. Your taste buds will dance to the subtle flavors of iron, granite, charred siege engines, and petrified flesh. We are proud to offer listeners of Character Crusade Podcast this exciting exclusive offer. 1,000% off a keg of Draugr Lager when you go to lostbarrow.charactercrusade.com and enter the promo code DEADBEVERAGE. You have to be dead from the neck up not to take advantage of this offer. Draugr Lager, the great taste of the undead with no bitter afterlife. Looking for more great Skyrim stories and inspiration? If so, the creators of the Character Crusade podcast have channels you might like. Visit The Panicked Monk at tpm.charactercrusade.com and Couch Warrior TV at cwtv.charactercrusade.com for more amazing Skyrim and roleplay content. Looking to get the most out of your Unbound experience? Do your homework! We know what you're thinking. Homework? This is a game! It's supposed to be fun! Why the hell would I do homework? Studies have shown that every minute invested in recording your roleplay ideas and experiences equals 10 hours of mind-blowing amazeballs in-game memories. This is a proven scientific fact. But if the science is not enough to convince you, we are giving away free Character Crusade loot to sweeten the deal. If you submit at least one episode of Unbound Homework, you will be entered into a drawing to win a free t-shirt from the Character Crusade shop. At the end of the season, the Character Crusade team will draw one lucky winner and send them the t-shirt of their choice from our extensive selection of custom gear. To send your episode homework, go to unbound.charactercrusade.com and follow the submission instructions. You can also check out all the gear we have to offer at shop.charactercrusade.com. Actual scientific results may vary depending on availability in your area. If your Skyrim lasts more than 24 hours, consult your alchemist. Only one entry per person will be considered per season. Well, here we go. Faded Andy's Bow to Run Bear Claw, season finale. Short narrative. The voices grow ever numerous and cacophonous. They interpret my dreams and drive me to do unholy things. How far I have fell from my time as a skull, the beast, the hunter, the beacon, the corpse and the shard, all vying for control over my mind. But if I was stronger, more willful, even they would not have driven me to do the things I have done. <clears throat> By the Allmaker, I have murdered my way to becoming the listener for the Dark Brotherhood. My mother always warned me of them, but I succumbed to them anyway. 
though I have done many things that would have Though I have done many things that would have me exiled from the Imperial Legion, I still pledged my life to the Emperor. I cannot in good conscience kill that man. That is a contract that was requested and a contract that the Night Mother wants done. I don't know why I ever did what the Night Mother told me when I was targeted by that assassin. Maybe it was a moment of weakness. Maybe it was the fact that I had not had human contact for weeks when that happened, but whatever it was, I still killed Ufberth. Ulfberth, Ulfberth, and all the others that had contracts put out on them. These voices are not all malevolent, however. The one from the beacon is particularly regal-sounding and seems to be about destroying darkness, while the one from the shard sounds almost confused and scared. This shard was spoken about in that book I read. Perhaps if I follow up on it, that voice will go away. I suppose it wouldn't hurt to investigate. For now my mind is weary and my shoulders heavy. That man in Dragon Bridge with the rose who invited me to drink. If he's still there, maybe I can drown these voices. If he is some sort of necromancer or practitioner of the dark arts, I guess I deserve whatever it is he does. Cool. All right. I need, like, some sort of ending noise, like I've <coughs> thus ended the lesson, you know? <laughs> that gets put in in post. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is that where those carnival noises come from? Here okay. endeth the joke. <laughs> uh, so character status. For this arc, I decided to explore Bodoran's potential for a more dark personality by having her join the Dark Brotherhood and work through that quest line until the quest presents the contract to kill the Emperor. Considering that Bodoran is still technically part of the Legion, she remembers that she swore her life to protecting the Emperor and the Empire, and her sense of loyalty gave her a moment of clear-headedness to realize the consequences of her actions should she choose to pursue this. While she was in Raldbathar... Raldbathar? Raldbathar, never had to pronounce that one before. On the quest to kill Elaine Dufont, she finds the first Ethereum shard. I role-played that... Katria had some sort of connection to the shards and was able to project her voice to Bodoran through it. This, in combination with the Ethereum Wars book, gave Bodoran motivation to get that quest line started. As, back at the start of the season, I related the plot idea that I rolled. Uh, Automaton falls in love with its creator, but the creator wants to destroy it. To this quest line, but Bodoran had never had a clear motivation of pursuing it. I figured that having another voice in her head would give Bodoran a reason to resolve the issue. Okay. I ended this arc by having Bodoran ditch all her gear, the Sithis armor from the mod of the same name, and head to Dragon Bridge to have a drink with Sanguine. Despite having seen him summon a Dramora, she is verging on suicidal at this point due to the guilt of doing all the things she has done in combination with the numerous voices inside her head driving her slowly insane. Bodoran's next arc will likely be her final one should... Bodoran's next arc will finally be her final one. Should be sort of a redemption story. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. I like it. Yeah, that's really good. Well, I mean, it's this sounds like a, a story that's going to continue, though, from here, right? So, it does to me. Yeah. Yeah. At least for a little while, yeah. Yeah, uh, to so, me, this feels yeah, like, like uh, we've reached the end or, or near the end of maybe Act 2 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a perfect example of an apex that you know we were talking about earlier yep. in that 
you've reached this this turning point uh, the, with the characters ready to or has come to a point where they they're changing gears. Yeah. Um, in this case, it's not the end of the story, but almost kind of a, a new beginning towards the end. Yeah. Another turning point. Right. For sure. So. I know we've talked about it like in the old classic character crusade podcast, but this, this idea Low of those many years ago, classic well, crusade. W- one of the things that's going on here, right. Is, is, um, you know, ditching the armor as symbolic that you're moving on. Yep. But one of the other things we've talked about too, is using that, uh, feature in vanilla where you can, you can go legendary with a skill that's at a hundred, mm-hmm. which will basically bust it back down to, to like 25 or something really low, low yeah. right? Yeah. And you build it up all over again. Yep. And you use it as the engine to drive advancement right. in other areas, yep. right? Yep. Um, that's one of those things where you, you could use that as a turning point as well, or as, uh, to emphasize a turning point, perhaps. Right. Yep. Where um, in addition to like losing the armor, you could strip away stealth as well, you know, or something mm-hmm. like right. that, right? Sure. By, by going legendary with your sneak skill or, you know, something like that. I think there, there are ways in, in the game, obviously, that you can do all this stuff using mods. But mm-hmm. if you're not using mods, that's one way that um, sure. I've used in a modded game before, in addition to mods, to emphasize a, a person giving something up and being weakened by it and then building right. back from it, right, whatever right, that right. deficit was. And using that, that building uh, to strengthen a different area. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, something to think about. Nice. Very cool. All right. Very good. Great way to end. Yeah. I like the fact that it sounds like this might continue, though, too. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is kind of cool. That is Maybe cool. this is an opera in four parts. It could be. Mm-hmm. Edgy. <laughs> Bucking the system. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> again, you could have a second turning point. Maybe uh-huh. it's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalama ding dong. Oh, man. All right. The next one is from Cat with a character, Cassia Eris. We've got both a good short narrative and a character update. We'll start with the short narrative. Sundus, 28, first seed, fourth era. 203. The Great Chapel of Mara, Breville, Cyrodiil. Dear Uthgird, I hope this letter finds you well. Daily life here is peaceful. I'm grateful to Acolyte Jensen for suggesting this to me. The change of scenery has done wonders for my health, and the wisdom of the priestess and her library has improved my mind immeasurably. My days are filled with quiet contemplation, simple labor, and the occasional visit. It brings a certain stillness to my heart, one I sought in vain elsewhere. It is so different from the rugged coastline of the seas of ghosts, sea of ghosts, and yet, in its own way, similar. Caden was always fond of Byron's Child Herald's Pilgrimage, and I began to understand what he saw in it. The power and majesty of the raw forces of nature brings its own sense of wordless presence in the moment. Still, Breville is much warmer and less windy, all things considered. Vicky came by last week. The physician has declared her in good condition, so she and Dom are going to try again for a little one. 
If the work I do here pleases Mara, perhaps she will bestow her blessing upon them this time. Mother came by once, too, but I was so uncomfortable I almost felt bad for her. Almost. But we all must walk our own paths. She knows where I am, should she wish to reconcile. In the meantime, Vicky assures me that Dune and Mr. Lethier continue to do a fine job at Proudspire. Feel free to visit any time you wish. It is the least I can offer you in return for all your support and friendship during a difficult time. Yours in gratitude, Cassia. All right, character status. Since the last podcast, Cassie and Caden faced off against the boss fight in his Daedric quest. Although I had to hand-wave Nazir's presence to them, the battle worked out serendipitously. The battle arena included a main area with a small side room where Cassie dove for cover as the final boss flung fireballs everywhere. It was a chaotic, fast-paced battle that worked to my plot's advantage. I decided Nazir didn't directly assassinate Caden. But simply, but simply failed to warn him of an incoming missile. Dune's letter had indicated the need for discretion, after all. Cassie was overwhelmed by grief, and I spent time in-game having her do things like reach out to people Caden and she had interacted with, plan and execute a simple funeral at the main temple in solitude, mostly through roleplay, and so on. I didn't really know how she was going to react long-term and wanted to give her time to figure it out and speak to me. She ended up spending a lot of time at the small chapel of Mara, added by the Solitude Docks mod. She had donated some coin there earlier in the game, early in the game, and had also had a lighthearted conversation with Caden there once. The quietness of chapel life was surprisingly agreeable to her, and she ultimately found herself wanting to make a pilgrimage to the great chapel in Braville. Is it Braville? 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 Braville, sure. Braville? Sure. Though she never declared any definite intention to stay there permanently, once she arrived, she made herself at home. Monastic life resolved her core conflict of duty versus passion by rejecting both her mother's definition of duty and her definition of passion. Faith has provided her some balm for the pain in her life and the space to begin to process the traumas she has experienced in Skyrim. This ending is also a bit of an homage to Madame de Lafayette's La Princesse de Cleve, the French novel from the 17th century, which I don't know anything about. So, It is often considered the most modern psychological novel. Oh, excuse me. It is often considered the first modern psychological novel and one of the first pieces of historical fiction. The novel's female protagonist marries out of duty and never acts on the mutual feelings between her and another man. After her husband dies, the other man wants to act on their feelings, but she rejects him completely and ends up recusing herself in a monastery. Wow. I felt a similar ending worked for Cassie. There were some comments in previous podcasts about dramatic climaxes, <clears throat> But one of the defining components of Jane Austen's style is that emotionally important moments are not always accompanied by flashy outbursts. This was counter to the literary style of her day and earned her no end of criticism in some quarters. This internally roiling but externally constrained dynamic represented Cassie's situation well, so I kept it. In summary, this was an intriguing season for me. I ended up doing a lot more arthorial hand-waving than I have done in the past, due to the character concept being so different from what the game expects. I still had tons of fun, and will always remember her with fondness. 
I now intend to take my annual break from Skyrim. And when I come back, we'll pick up with the story of Mr. Larathair, the Altmer alchemist she hired to help with the solitude business. Cool. Nice. <laughs> That's super cool. That's cool. I love it. Cat, uh, when is your Skyrim break over? Maybe we should coordinate the beginning of season four with whenever your break's over. Just, you know, let us know in the comments. I'm going to guess maybe about a month. <sighs> Something like that. Yeah. Like maybe like, I don't know, 4th of March. Somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah. If I had to venture a guess, words. that's what I would go with. A month away from Skyrim is, is a long time. Yeah. It Finally is. gives you a chance to warm up, but yes. <laughs> Depends on your settings. <laughs> that's true. That's true. If you're not playing Frostfall or don't find yourself at the top yeah. of the throat of the world, you're probably fine. I'm struck by just, you know, kind of how gorgeous the narrative is, the the little letter thing, you know, and... Mm -hmm. And, and just like the, the explanation of what's happening there. And, you know, so a little bit of um, historical information. That, yeah, it was a really you know, nice wrap-up. I, yeah. I didn't know anything about. Um, That's very cool. I thought that was really fantastic. I love it. Yeah, she says a month sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, co coincidence, yeah. I think for anybody who's gone through the season here, though, and maybe have uh, looked at characters from the previous season, a, a month off might just be enough time to reset and come back to a character without sort of carrying yeah. the baggage from yeah. the previous season, right? Kind of a fresh, yeah. fresh yeah. look. I sure. think, you know, for me, it, coming out of any season of Unbound, having at least one person who said they they had created a really fun and memorable character from the experience, I think makes this whole thing a success, in mm -hmm. my view. Uh, not every season's going to be a success for, ev for everyone. Um, I think right. that has, you know, less to do with maybe the formula of the podcast and more to do with just how games work. You know, because yeah. I've created a number of characters in Skyrim that I, I really I could play to a point. But after that, I was like, Bleh. yeah, I can't Just, do this anymore. Yeah. And, and the, it occurs really quickly like that with some. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. you know, you might get to around 15th level and go, eh. it's yeah. just it's just not connecting. And yeah. You might go to 40th. Yeah. Um, although to kind of piggyback on what we've talked about in the past, just because you get to that point doesn't mean it's over. Just means maybe you got to re envision what your initial yeah. Yeah, thought or concept was, and uh, <clears throat> even after that, it might just turn out to be yeah, it's just not a, yeah. a memorable character. Not it just wasn't clicking. Yep. So and some characters, you know, you, you get attached to them, but you may you may run dry of creativity, but you find it to be a character you can return to later right. easily and, right. and with joy. Mm -hmm. Whereas others, the concept is problematic maybe from the very start and you hit that, say like you're talking about level 15 yeah. and you're just done. You're like, uh, you know, I would rather do anything than play this character. I'd, I'd rather pinch my arm skin <laughs> than play this man. character. That's rough, man. <laughs> yeah. Right. You've so. got to have some pretty seriously <laughs> determined problems if you're going to say, I'd rather pinch my arm skin. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> that ain't no lie. No, that's serious, man. That's serious stuff. That's I mean, we're talking about arm skin here. <laughs> it's, it's, look how sensitive it is. Look I know. how sensitive it, it's arm It's fish skin belly is. white. Come on. It's dead of Minnesota <laughs> winter. It's, it's hard to get any more 
untan than that. Are you holding on a walleye, son? <laughs> Actually, that might be. I can I can make it look like I'm holding holding a walleye and draw a walleye on there. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Yeah. You want to do another one? Sure. Spare season finale. Inside the book where Spare first encountered his enemy, he faced danger at every step. This was not a place for the weak, this book of black. Hermaeus Mora, though having helped our hero gain the power he needed, did not make it easy to reach Mirak. He fought through chapter to chapter, working his way up to where he would receive the final word to defeat the ex-priest. The horrors that attacked him at nearly every moment he stubbornly fought against his determination would not be ceased. Spare finally made it to the last chapter, nothing but a few seekers stopping him from reaching his goal. And there it was, a twisted word wall matching Apocrypha, its home perfectly disgustingly mocking history and the voice. On it, the final word for bend will. Upon it, like both times before, his skin crawled. He felt heavy and ill as he let it absorb and become part of his being, like drinking swill. He forced himself to swallow it down as one of the Dova servants of his enemy was coming, the beast began to attack, and almost out of instinct, the monk used the vile thum on it. Sarotar landed and beckoned the Dovahkiin to climb on his back, to ride him to the summit and meet his rival. The experience was exhilarating and terrifying. His wonderment on the possibilities of his power equal to that of his anxiousness of the fight ahead. That was, until a thought struck him like a lightning from a great storm a chance to defeat the arrogant former priest and ensure his survival. The dragon landed, being insulted by Mirak for being tamed by a spare, or by, for being tamed by spare, despite this meeting <clears throat> being his goal all along. Mirak proudly announced his plan to kill him and absorb his soul like the dove they both had before, and finally be free of Hermaeus's control. All the while, the monk's tongue ran along itself in his mouth, preparing. Soon the battle was on. The mystical armor Mirak donned as a show of his power when he was first discovered now shielded them both, the light of its abilities flaring. The arrogant mage began to run, firing bolts of magic at Spare as he followed. Taunting words flew from behind his mask before being met with, Go, ha, dove! The first time caught him off guard. The second began to weaken him. Over and over, Spare shouted. Mirak tried to resist, commanding he was the master of his own, but his protests were drowned out by the last Dovahkiin's, uh, by the last Dragonborn's thum, until his resolve was decimated. Spare approached him and commanded him now, defy the prince. Hermaeus Mora was not contented to let his prize servant leave. The booming, angry voice quaked the tower, the skies filling with those foul, tentacled eyes. Do you think to escape me? Suddenly the grounds were filled with all manner of abhorrent creatures from the realm, seekers, lurkers, souls of the damned who were lost to the prince, 
all in obedience to kill both the defiant, Dovahkiin. Despite their combined power and abilities, the battle was rough and lasted long. Hermaeus sent wave after wave of minions, his ire fueling the attacks. And just as Mirak and Spare were growing tired, their throats burning from their thumb, their bodies aching, one final battle came. The two banded together and, and both the two banded together and both attacked the gargantuan lurker, magic and fist and voice tearing away at its deformed body until finally, finally it was struck down. Hermaeus, seeming to relent, Spare approached his right. Spare approached his once rival again, presenting a new plan for Mirak to leave Apocrypha and fulfill his destiny. He would help the monk in defeating Alduin for his freedom. I have a hard time reading that stuff cold. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. No, you did well. Character status. Oh boy, this has been a ride. I totally agree with you. Uh, Spare's story will not end here with this episode. Dun, dun, dun. Awesome. I'll continue to write the poem until I reach the final battle with Alduin with him, but I decided that for the season finale, this would be an excellent place to leave it. Through this story, I've had Spare struggling with his identity and his destiny as Dragonborn, and there was never a more worthy opposite to him than Mirak. Somebody who was so powerful and knowledgeable about everything it meant to be Dragonborn, but couldn't give a crap less about while Spare was weak and confused about it all but cared deeply. It was a concept I couldn't pass up. However, I didn't want it to end with Spare killing Mirak and just being done with it. I knew he wouldn't grow that way, so I used the Mirak Dragonborn follower mod. This mod gave me the chance to save Mirak and have him act as a sort of mentor, sort of a helper for Spare. I figure as the first Dragonborn, his insight and experience as such would prove invaluable to my character as he continues his story and will help him work on trying to figure out who and what he is. In addition to this, since Mirak was technically supposed to fight Alduin, being that he was the first dragonborn, and he just said screw it, and ended up becoming an evil jerk with an ego bigger than the size of... <laughs> with the ego bigger than the size of a dragon, <laughs> and being forced to help Spare defeat Alduin would give my character the backup he needs fighting such a powerful being, but also would be part of his penance for the crimes he committed. That's pretty cool. In the future, I'm planning on having Spare's powers increase with Mirak's guidance and for a lot of things concerning the dragons to get real interesting before the final confrontation with Alduin. I'm nowhere near done with Spare's journey. Awesome. For this, excuse me, this is the first season of Unbound I've participated in and it's been a great experience. Granted, I struggled with the homework at times, but despite that, I've enjoyed myself immensely. It's been a blast creating Spare's story and listening to and reading the stories from everyone else. I hope everyone has enjoyed the season as much as I have and hope everyone has enjoyed Spare's story and will continue following it until I finish. See you guys next season. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> that was no really good. No month break there. Sounds yeah. like uh, right into it. Spare's <clears throat> going to keep going. Yep. Yep. I, well, this is cool because we have got uh, a couple folks now that plan on continuing these characters yeah and and one that's going to continue the saga yeah if if not with a alternate character yep. from that story mm -hmm. so uh that's really encouraging i think it's great well i think 
you know, here's the thing, right? This is why I, I get so conflicted sometimes about what we do, because the more work that you put into something, the more you get out of it in the end, hopefully, right? Right. And we've had a lot of people, there, there are people who struggled this season who had amazing first seasons or okay. second seasons, right? right? And people that and struggled during those ones. Exactly. Right. And I think that that, you know, you, you have, you grow the most when you're challenging yourself and challenging yourself isn't easy. And so if, if you're struggling to try to find the time to do it or to try to think creatively about how you're doing it, that to me, that's a sign that you're, you know, that, that struggle is a sign that maybe you're doing something right, that you're addressing the right issues. Well, it's also a, a good sign that you're engaged. Right. You found something that interests you. Exactly. So when we talk sometimes about changing up the homework, where I get a little bit leery about that is I, I get worried about denying somebody the experience that that Wolf Issa's just had, mm -hmm. right? right? Where, yes, it was a struggle, but something awesome came out of it. And the same with, with Kat, right? Um, yes, it was some work, you know, and... It was maybe something that you hadn't considered doing before while playing Skyrim, but something came out of it that was great. So I, I feel like given some time to, to work on this, that we could come up with a format that honors both of those things yeah. somehow. Right. Someone who's interested in more of a casual play and someone who's interested in putting in the time uh, and, and doing something more lengthy uh, in, in hopes of the reward at the end. Right, right. Uh, giving people the opportunity to, to have whatever experience it is they need to have. But um, I personally find this thing the, to be the most re rewarding when we're getting feedback like that, to mm -hmm. say it's been epic, it's been fun, it's been amazing, it's been, you know, that's, those are the stories I love. That's why we started doing this thing. You need to, to share, because we each have them. Yeah. And... I know your whole reason to go kind of back once upon a time of starting the channel was because of the experiences you were having on your own when you first started playing the game. Right. And you're like, can't do I got to tell sharing. someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I got to, I got to share this. And that's kind of where we're at. We're, we're at a point of sharing all these amazing things that are yep. happening. Yep. This yeah. would have been very different had I been trying to read these in the first couple of episodes of the podcast ever. Because that would have been the most horrific pronunciations of any of these character names oh. for in-game characters. It would have been, you guys would have just been. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> fantasy names are always a challenge. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, Tolkien, I think, is a master of unpronounceable names. Making stuff up, <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's also part of the fun, too. Yeah. Well, this was another good entry. And, you know, I, I think... I've already said it, but these are the stories we want to hear, the kinds of stories of people saying, this was really amazing and truly epic, and I'm so glad I did it. Mm -hmm. So I think whatever we decide to do for season four, we'll try to strike a balance right. um, to, give, to give you the most flexibility we can in terms of how much you want to put into it, but maybe find a way to reward people um, uh, for the it, effort they, they for, for, offer. Yeah, in a way that's commensurate with the effort they, they decided they, they were able to put in in a given season. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And there may be one season where you can just really 
hit it hard and it's coming easy and it feels good, you know, and stuff like that. And others where you're just like too busy at work and life is closing in, but you want to participate in a limited way Mm -hmm. and still be tracking with everyone else. We want to just make sure everybody can do that. And the last thing that we wanted was to create a system by which people would feel guilty. (laughs) That was not the point. (laughs) Or give up. Or give up. Yeah. Um, So whenever I see somebody, you know, on Discord agonizing about not getting their homework done and feeling like they they need to address that, you don't. Life is life. I mean, um, I didn't do a podcast or a live stream on Sunday, even though I said I was going to do that, right? I just sent a message and said, you know, I can't do it. Things are what they are. And I I try to let that go, you know. Um, But, you know... I've been doing this for six years now, and um, you know I've gotten used to disappointing people, <laughs> so I've internalized it. So it's embraced yeah, the it's, disappointment. Yeah, water off a duck's back, man. Um, you know who else wants some of this? You know that. So I think just not this week. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take this everything into consideration. We got a lot of work to do in the next month to try yeah. to come up with a formula yeah. that makes sense, but we'll figure it out. Oh yeah. And we'll solicit more input from you guys. Great entry. I loved it. So we have uh, season three homework from Trolliant. Vasha, 11th of Heartfire, fourth era 201. Shivari is dead. Jedithar is dead. My family is gone because of that girl. Elenwyn deceived us. She said the girl lost her abilities at Northwatch Keep, that the trauma of killing her uncle prevented the girl from transforming. We were told she wouldn't be a threat now. Obviously, Elenwyn was wrong. Even without transforming, the girl is formidable. Now I am alone because of her ignorance. I will deal with Elenwyn in, the t- in time. But first I will start with the girl. I don't care if she is the Dragonborn. I will have my revenge. I will not make the mistake of Shivari and Jadathar. I don't know how to pronounce that. I will not be so direct. This child will never see me coming. Sinead Vanna, 14th of Heartfire. 4th Era 201. I feel compelled to write down what happened the other night, but it's more difficult than I expected. My hands are still shaking as I try to put the words on paper. When I woke up that night, I saw Khajiit standing over Anna's bed, smothering her with a rag. I jumped out of bed and rushed at him. I leapt onto his back and tried to pull him away from her, but he hardly flinched. He threw me against the wall, and before I had a chance to recover, I felt his fist hitting me repeatedly in the face. I was so dazed I couldn't even fight back when he put the rag over my mouth. I don't know what was on there, but I blacked out within seconds. Anna Stenyan, 14th of Hardfire, 4th Era 201. I have to admit I didn't stir at all when that Khajiit came into our room the other night. When I did wake up, I was in a strange place. The first thing I noticed was all the blood. The walls were covered with it. That's when everything truly came into focus, and I finally saw Sinead. She was on her knees. Her hands were bound behind her back and a shroud was covering her face. I looked up and saw Khajiit standing behind her, holding a dagger to her throat. I was horrified. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to do. I got to my feet and took a step forward, but the Khajiit motioned me to stop. 
He grabbed her shroud and smiled as he pulled it off her head. My heart sank as I looked on the mangled face of my friend. Her face was purple from bruising. She was bleeding from her nose. Her eye was swollen half shut. A fury rose up in my chest as he began to apologize for starting without me. I lunged toward him, but he kicked me hard in the gut before I could strike. The force of his blow knocked me back to the floor. When I demanded to know who he was and why he was doing this, he told me his name was Basha and spoke of two Khajiit I had killed. He said I murdered his family and he would, in turn, murder mine. I remember the Khajiit he mentioned. One attacked us in Riften when we found Espern, and we found and we encountered the other in Windhelm. He was sent by the Thalmor to kill Malborn, and we stopped him. I tried to tell Vasha we were just defending ourselves, but he wouldn't listen. I felt so powerless. I looked around the room, but there was nothing I could use as a weapon. Even if there had been, I had no skill with anything besides a bow. Without Bell, I felt useless. I was so frustrated, and I didn't understand why I couldn't transform anymore. There was nothing else I could do, so I tried to transform anyway. Nothing happened. I shouted and pleaded for Bell to come out, but there was nothing except the sound of Vasha's laughter. I was filled with despair as I looked at Sinead and then back at him. That's when he mentioned Northwatch Keep. Elinwen, the Thalmor ambassador, told him I lost my ability to transform there. Then it all came rushing back. It was like a dam and my mind had broken, and a torrent of memories began flooding into my head. It was so overpowering I collapsed to my hands and knees. I felt the tears rolling down my cheeks and falling to the floor beneath me as questions kept running through my brain. My uncle, I went to, I went with Sinead to rescue him, but where was he? What went wrong? How could I have forgotten what happened? Sinead begged Basha to stop, but he was loving it. He said I really was broken if I couldn't even remember what I'd done. He kept laughing as he told me the truth of what happened, of how the Thalmor turned my uncle into a werebeast of how I had transformed into Bell, and of how I had murdered my own uncle that night. I cried out in horror and anguish. I didn't want to believe it, but in my heart I knew it was true. I crumpled to the floor, sobbing, and Vasha said he was satisfied. The next sound I heard was from Sinead. There was shock in her voice, and then a soft groan. I looked up and saw the tip of Vasha's dagger sticking out from the front of her chest. I screamed. Vasha pulled out the dagger and Sinead fell to her side. Without hesitation, I ran at him, intent on strangling him with my bare hands. But as I reached him, I felt a sharp pain in my stomach and tasted blood in my mouth. When I looked down, the dagger was buried in my belly. Vasha whispered something in my ear and then pushed me to the ground. I thought that was it. Sinead and I would die and my life would have been for nothing. But that's when I saw him. I saw my uncle. He was kneeling over me, bathed in light, and he put his hand on my cheek. As my tears continued to flow, I told him I was sorry for what I did. He just smiled and said he never blamed me. He told me I needed to forgive myself because Sinead and all of Tamriel needed me. He mouthed the words, I love you, and then faded away, and I felt that familiar power surging through me again. <clears throat> Sinead Vanna 14th of Heartfire, 4th Era 201, continued. 
I was still slightly conscious when it happened. I saw Anna's body lifting off the ground and the whole room filled with light. It was loud, too. It sounded like a hurricane. Basha shouted something. I'm not sure what he said, but he sounded scared. When the sound subsided and the light faded, a figure was standing there, but it wasn't who I expected. It wasn't Belle. She was clad in ebony, in ebony armor, as black as night. Her hair was like fire, flowing in red waves down her shoulder. She held a long, narrow, two-handed blade at her side. She was beautiful and terrifying. Before Vasha could move or speak, her blade was protruding from his back. He collapsed to the ground, and she turned her attention to me. She knelt beside me and put her hand on my wound. I felt warmth and energy course through me, and my injury was gone. She helped me to my feet, and I stared at her in confusion. She embraced me and told me that it was really her, that Belle was gone, and that she really was, that she was really my Anna. I put my arms around her and began to cry as all the tension and fear melted away. Despite all the suffering Anna had endured at the hands of the Thalmor, from what they did to her uncle, despite the agony she experienced because of Belle's actions, despite all that, she was willing to transform, to tap into the very power that had killed her uncle just to save me. So I don't care where she goes from here. I'll follow her to the realms of oblivion and back if she wants. She's more than just my friend. She's my family, and I'll fight to keep her, and I'll fight at her side until my dying breath. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> Character status. After the tragedy at North Watch Keep, the only way Anna could cope with what she had done was to suppress all memories of the event. In addition to this, she had also lost her ability to transform into Belle as a result of the trauma. Sinead, fearing it would only cause Anna greater distress, decided not to divulge what really happened at Northwatch Keep. Instead, the two went to Riften to find Esper per Delphine's instructions. Once Anna realized she could no longer access the power of the amulet, however, she decided to seek advice from the mages at the College of Winterhold. She and Sinead spent a few days at the college, but no one was able to explain why she couldn't activate the enchantment on her amulet. It was after leaving Winterhold that Anna and Sinead were abducted by Vasha. Story-wise, losing her ability to transform gave Anna the chance to grow as a warrior in her own right. Instead of Belle coming to save the day whenever things got tough, she had to rely on herself and on Sinead. However, I still wanted her to eventually regain the ability to use her amulet. Her abduction and her desire to protect Sinead provided the dramatic catalyst for her to finally learn how to control the power of her amulet. Instead of the enchantment taking on a separate persona, like Belle, she is now able to use the skills and knowledge while maintaining her own identity. The idea of Vasha came about because there really are two Khajiit assassins in the game that work for the Thalmor. One will attack you after you find Esper, and the other is sent to kill Malborn and Windhelm, assuming he survives your infiltration of the Thalmor embassy. I liked the idea that there could be a third assassin who would want revenge, so to accomplish this I hijacked the abandoned shack southeast of Solitude. I have no intention of doing the Dark Brotherhood quest in this playthrough, so I'm not worried about breaking that quest line. I used the console to disable all the other characters in the shack except for Vasha. He seemed like a good fit for my third Khajiit assassin, so I used amazing follower tweaks to turn him into a follower. And I sent him on... I sent him... And I set him to non-essential so Anna could strike him down at the appropriate time. 
Of course, most of the interactions of the narrative above were played out in my head, but having visual representation in the game makes it much more enjoyable for me. Now that Anna can control her power, she and Sinead will continue on the main quest to defeat Alduin. I feel like I've connected with these characters more than I have in any previous playthrough. This season of Unbound has been my favorite so far. Thank you guys for bringing this community together, helping us find new ways to keep Skyrim fun and engaging, and for entertaining us all these years. Let's talk about Trallian's entry here. There's so much creativity in here that, you know, it's some really cool things to unpack. Multiple characters writing from first-person experience about one event. Yes. What, I think it's yeah, that, that, that different perspective yeah. uh, is very cool. And yeah. I think, and I know we've talked about this before, but the willingness to go in and, and change your game to yeah. fit your narrative mm-hmm. when you're not producing a... a anything for yeah. anyone but yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's is really cool and kind of inspirational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great step. Even for my Did my own know. stuff, you know, if I, you know, pick something up mm-hmm. and I'm not going to record, <clears throat> I just want to play. Yeah. Um it's it's definitely something to think about. Well, it brings to mind because this idea of She's right. You, when you've got that physical presence and that visual to go mm-hmm. with it, it yeah. really does draw more out of the game it does yeah. to yeah. your experience. That's absolutely true. I I was just going to mention that, you know, we've talked in the past about mods we wished we had. You know that we, you know, I've often wished that there was a mod, um, w- where I could take a series of weapons or armor or something like that that I wanted to be significant end game items add it to a leveled list and it would take those specific items and put them in strategic places for me, depending on the things I was going to pursue quest wise. Right. Mm -hmm. So that I could have a character that would encounter the, the right and appropriate piece of armor at the right time in a story or something like that. Right. But imagine if somebody made a follower mod that would give you the option of identifying a character, you know, giving them a combat style, but instead of making them your follower, adding them to some sort of opposed faction so yeah. that at some point you can encounter them and, and have them be an yeah, antagonist. An antagonist mod. Right? And actually <laughs> an set them to mod. essential. Yeah. You could even have yeah. set them to essential, right? Because right. you know maybe you don't want to kill the bad guy in the first encounter or the fifth encounter. Right, right. Maybe it's the sixth encounter, right? right? right. Um, what what Trallient has done here is is kind of, create a facsimile of that right yeah you could have an mcm menu that has a slider you know encounters until essential yeah yeah right like you you could see you could just see it it would be a mod called antagonist right and you you identify the character they get tagged into a faction and then through the mcm menu you could control those kinds of things you're talking about that would be super that's different than the menu entry that i thought we were using here live which was where on the slider are we at antagonize (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just thought it was a fantastic entry i think the the, the prose was really creative i like the changing perspectives mm-hmm. so we get to see things from different angles right um you know get we get Sinead's perspective on 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 the protagonist becoming what she yeah, was meant the, to the be, transformation right? from all that, that kind of stuff viewpoint I mean, 
And it wouldn't have been yeah. able to, you wouldn't be able to tell that from pretty much any other perspective. I think that. Then an outside. Yeah. Right. And unless you had the Khajiit all of a sudden, you know, yeah. you're getting some of that perspective. But well, it was time for the Khajiit to go away and not tell the story. I mean, yeah. since it was all after the fact, right? Recollection, yeah. the Khajiit had yeah. turned into a His rug. monologuing had come to an end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> no, it was modeling. it was really really good. I I really appreciate the effort put into that. I mean, that's pretty cool. I'd be interested to know the amount of time that went into telling all three of those pieces, not necessarily here, but I mean, was that a sort of take everything as it comes out? Was it a lot of edits? Was it a lot of cleanup? Cuz that kind of creative writing i think you could take sort of a stream of consciousness and have it just come out really raw mm-hmm. and leave it like that oh i can't believe what i just saw the amount of blood on the walls you know that kind of thing yeah so very cool yeah very cool awesome entry yep and that's brilliant num- you know season finale uh, another one to point to to say yep it was a lot of effort but boy the payoff was good so yeah yeah that makes me feel good about the whole thing. So. I agree. I'm envisioning this picture of the sword going through the Khajiit, just the little yeah, yeah. pointy <laughs> right through the back. You just see the little yeah. sun glint, little drop of blood, little uh-huh. bit of Khajiit blood. Yeah. All right. We got one more. All right. So our last for today is from Tom about Golnaz, the desert flower. Short narrative, The Desert Flower, A Sword Singer. Cyrus was supping his ale as he looked across the Alakir Desert. He noticed a figure running towards him, slowly growing in size as the figure got closer. Cyrus realized it was one of those imperial couriers. While the most sensible mortals were keeping in the shade as the midday sun beat down, this crazy courier, wearing just cloth, was running towards him. He approached and spoke, Cyrus, I have a parcel for you. Cyrus thought how the demons this... Cyrus thought how the demons did this guy find him out here in the middle of the Alakir desert. He remembered the desert flower, also known as Golnaz, telling him that the couriers could track anyone and were almost invincible. She admitted not to knowing how they could do this. He took another sip of his ale as he watched the courier receding in the distance, returning to Skyrim. Carefully opening the parcel, he found inside an expensive silver pestle and mortar, some dried flowers and some, and other plant materials, a hand-bound book, Skyrim Alchemy, a silver ring and a letter. Seeing the flowers, Cyrus grinned. He knew his lover was still alive and well in Skyrim. The desert flower often laughed at him, laughed. <clears throat> the desert flower often laughed at his inept attempt at alchemy. She, on the other hand, was a master alchemist. Opening the letter, he smelt the sweet smell of desert rose. My dear beloved, I hope this letter finds you well. Thank you so much for sending me Papa's ring. I wear it on my left hand to remind me of them all. Papa, Mama, and my four brothers, all now dead because of treachery. Each day as I prepare my potions, I quietly chuckle, remembering your fumbling efforts. Darling, I have collected some powerful alchemy ingredients, a hand-bound book of my personal recipes, a special pestle and mortar, and a silver ring that improves potions. I hope you find them useful. When Papa died, I felt the Nern move. 
My family soul ward, that kept me alive in battle, disappeared with his passing. As my shock faded, my thoughts cleared. For the first time I could see with my mind a curved sword. Concentrating, I channeled my spirit into a blade. So producing my very first spirit sword, darling, I have become a sword singer. Just like the Ansei heroes? Ansei? Ansei? A-N-S-E-I. Just like the Ansei heroes of old, I realized that Tuaka had given me a blessing so I can avenge the death of my family by that snake in the sand, Kamatu. I have become quite proficient at sword singing. I just need to find which rock Kamatu is hiding under. My orc friend, Duraz, has contacted some of the Kamatu soldiers in Whiterun. She plans to meet up with them at Rorikstad, then track them to Kamatu's hideout. Once I know where he is hiding, then I can cut Kamatu's head off. Too bad if his troops stand in the way. Then, of course, the leader of the Dark Brotherhood needs to die for killing Papa. I know Kamatu never paid him for the kin. <clears throat> I know Kamatu never paid them for the killing. They were just being vindictive, as I had killed many of their highly trained assassins. I have found the hideout of the Dark Brotherhood. However, I cannot open the door to gain access. Somehow I must draw the leader out. Not sure how, yet. While I wait, I'm going to elsewhere. But that Altmer I told you about, Orion, Orion Morellius, Morellius, Orion Morellus, whatever, wants me to collect the staff of Indaris and bring it back to his museum in solitude. Maybe I can learn some of the Khajiit sword styles at the same time. Darling, I am so sorry for the short letter. Just know I am well and have found some useful friends in Skyrim. Maybe once this is over, you might visit me here. Stay safe, my love, your loving desert flower. Character status. As you can see from Golnaz's letter, she has yet to reach the end of this chapter. I will post more on Discord as her story progresses. You may remember Golnaz is a red guard from the Alakir Desert, part of the Asaba clan. Asaba are shunned by red guard society due to their unclean interactions with the risen dead, as they discard, disregard religious taboos and destroy the undead, slaying with great skill what might be honored ancestors returned. My story evolves around her older brothers working for a red guard Kamatu. Not being Asaba, Kamatu feared the undead so he employed them as protection. When his party was attacked in a crypt, Kamatu fled, locking three of Golnaz's brothers in the crypt. Later, Golnaz and her older brother went, in, uh, went to the crypt. They were attacked by skeletons, which included her three brothers that had been awakened by necromancers. Once the battle was over, a shocked Golnaz found her fourth brother dead too. Golnaz and her lover Cyrus prepared the bodies for cremation. Taking the family ashes back to her papa, Ansai, and mama, Izara, her mama died shortly after from the shock of hearing that her sons had all died. Golnaz decided to go to Skyrim and kill Kamatu with her papa's blessing. In Skyrim, Golnaz has been doing contract work for the Altmer, Orion Morelius. You guys, do you know who that is? Yeah. How do I pronounce uh... that? That I I want to say that's Orion. The, that's the uh, can I see it? 
I apologize for ruining that. Oh yeah. Well, I don't. I, I'm not sure on the pronunciation. I guess Arian is how I would pronounce it. Yep. But uh, that's the guy who actually runs the the giant museum in in solitude from the uh, Legend of the Dragonborn mm -hmm. mod. Oh, or whatever. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. so <clears throat> he's actually a great. He's actually a great person to use as as a linchpin in a story because he's a pretty prolific quest giver. Sure. And you could actually mold those quests he gives you into any kind of thing you wanted to. Here we're talking about somebody who's sort of commandeered that character and said this is this person is we're going to say is associated with the Thalmor, right? Yep. Although Sure. Uh, the the mod doesn't dictate that that's who the person is. Right. You can certainly do it yourself, mm -hmm. and you could stage a whole bunch of different quests that well, way. Well, and, and right. being in solitude, it would make perfect sense to, to yeah. take that angle. It would. And it just says that this is going on while trying to recover artifacts for his Dragonborn Museum in solitude. Right, so, right. Yeah. While adventuring, Golnaz has found companionship with the people who have chosen to follow her along with the Companions Guild in Whiterun. Uh, Orion, who had Golnaz... Across most of Skyrim from Riften to Markarth and many places in between, Golnez loves to adventure, collecting ancient rare artifacts. The fact he's paying her to do it is a bonus. Golnez used to use a sword or mace, both metal. While while passing uh, with the passing of her papa, Golnez believes that the Yokodin god of souls, Tuwaka, Yokodin, like Yokodin, and Tuwaka, yeah, like Arke for the Imperials is what it says, mm -hmm. had helped her become a sword singer. She creates a spirit blade which allows her to cut down even Draugr death lords. Her master alchemy swords have <laughs> skills, not swords. I got swords on the brain now. <laughs> have helped her and her companions both win and survive many battles. Her spirit blade, coated with a poison, can slice through even the strongest of enemies. She has begun to settle in Skyrim, buying property and or land in Whiterun, uh, Fasgar and Falkreath. She has even come to the attention of Queen Elisif, who has offered her a thane ship if she wants to buy property. But prices are currently too high. <laughs> in solitude, <laughs> they're always too high. It's always <laughs> higher in the city. Yeah. It's always higher in the city. So that's it. And that's all uh, of the submissions that we have. Who's that submission by again? Tom. All right, that was Tom. Awesome. So good. Yeah. So good. So good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, think there's any yeah. more emails unless awesome. people have submitted some while we were waiting here. No, nope. I, I think that's it. No, that's that sounds that, about right. That's pretty yeah. amazing. Um, wow, great job! I I like this one a lot too. Um, so many cool things going on there. I I like the perspective of the love letter from the dragonborn kind of mm -hmm. thing, right? Yeah, like yeah. Telling the story that way, it's very clever and interesting. Mm -hmm. This this is. Um, it, it, you know, it's funny because some some stories can be can be kind of like um, intimate and close and right. focused on a particular quest line. Um, Tom's story seems epic and sweeping. I mean, it goes to Falscar, it goes all these different places, touches all these different quests yeah, and yeah. mods, and has a lot of different things going on. But it doesn't seem any less cohesive. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. So great. Great. Lovely entry. All of these were, you guys. 
really appreciate y'all sticking it out this season. Um, I know that it was long, and this was our first shot at going through this format. <clears throat> I think we really nailed some stuff. Yep. <clears throat> and I think these entries are a testament to that. There are people here who had a really great experience. And I think, you know, we'll dial it in. We'll keep dialing yep. it in. Yep. Um, we just need to know that you're having fun uh, and that you want to keep going, and we'll find a way to make it make it work. Ah, you are Dragonborn. I can feel it. Well fought, Dragonborn. Thank you guys all so much. Uh, we will see you, uh, well, Next later. Next time. Okay, bye. <laughs> Unbound Roleplay Workshop is a production of Character Crusade and Couch Warrior TV. For more information on our podcasts, videos, past Unbound seasons, or to follow us on social media, visit our website at www.charactercrusade.com. If you would like to get involved in Unbound, you can find everything you need to know, including schedule, season syllabus, homework submission, and play rules on our Unbound information page. Go to unbound.charactercrusade.com to get more from your Skyrim experience. For more than three years, Character Crusade has set the standard in Skyrim roleplay ideas and innovation. This podcast would not be possible without support from listeners like you. Make a donation in any amount through our Patreon campaign. Visit donate.charactercrusade.com and join our growing group of faithful patrons. Thank you for your support. says uh, Apollo is my own character Matt. Okay, well good, then that's Apollo excellent. is my own character Matt. So he doesn't exist in the actual game. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Do you know anything? <laughs> All right, let's get set up for success here. <laughs> it's far too late for that. You and your arm skin. Just hold your lip skin, buddy. Read when you're laughing. Call me Rumpel Lipskin. Guys, let's put a fork in this season, shall we? Let's fork, fork it. it.